0: If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: And I thought, I could do this, but this just isn't, it's not speaking to me.
2: Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they wanna be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Hi, Dr. Fisher Grace. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you?
2: I am doing well. Welcome to the Wellness Platform. I'm so excited that you are here. Why don't you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about you? Who are you?
1: Sure. Thank you for having me. Happy to share. I am Kalia Fisher Grace. Um, I am a registered nurse by background and by education. I'm doctorally prepared. Um, My role in nursing right now, I work as a director, a system director, director of policy for a health system in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, And I'm involved in a number of boards and civic organizations. So that's a little bit about me um, and my background.
2: Nice. How did you get into nursing and talk us through your decision to become a nurse and then get your doctorate? Because you're PhD prepared and that's not something that happens overnight. (laughs) It (laughs) takes a while. So what motivated you to do that? It's funny. um, uh,
1: Nursing is kind of in my family, entrenched in my family. So from my grandmothers being in the nursing sector, as well as cousins, aunts. Um, It was a career that I think I was just introduced to early on. I like the idea of being able to make a difference and um, just work closely with people one-on-one. I I love that aspect of nursing. I love the clinical aspects, the technical aspects, the teaching. So all aspects of nursing really appealed to me. Um, I started nursing school kind of traditional college entry route. I went to um, Kent State University in Kent, Ohio, um, pursued my BSN or bachelor's of science in nursing and stayed on campus, kind of had the whole (laughs) college experience, which was great for me. But I never really thought much about like, what am I going to do after, right? i Was still very much a first-generation college student, so even though um, you can enter nursing into in a lot of different routes, I was kind of. um, I had a cousin who went to college a year ahead of me, so we were kind of on the track together, um, and so I didn't know what I would do after. I think it was all of the relationships that came along the way from my um, faculty members to nurses that I met, like the clinical nurse specialists and nurse leaders when I started working in the hospital that led me down a path of getting pursuing the next degree or the next thing. That really was just through meeting and making um, connections with people that I admired. And so I did get a my MSN in healthcare nursing and healthcare management, so Master's of Science in Nursing and Healthcare Management, again from Kent State. And after I got my master's degree, I started working in our quality department, and I really liked looking at problems or issues and creating processes and systems improvements and looking at data and creating data and translating that to what does that really mean is happening for patients and looking at order sets and how do we make um implement best practices and create systems change. I loved all those things. And actually my work in quality led me to say, I want to take this to the furthest level that I can and pursue a PhD. I, I mean, I toyed back and forth around which doctorate was right for me. Um, and I, I still was interested in quality improvement as well as research. So I figure, let me learn more about research and get a research doctorate. Um, and I just looked, not even at too many schools. I think I found the school that I wanted to attend rather quickly and I pursued that path part-time. <laughs> So it did take me um, about six or six and a half years to complete my um, PhD, but I was always working and I enjoyed the process. So um, that is really my educational path.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it shows the importance of the circles, right? You're in or who you surround yourself with that will keep you kind of stuck and stagnant or really help propel you forward. Um, Absolutely. I think that that message came through really clear and something that we should definitely consider, especially in this day and age, because there's many nurses out there who just feel like, oh, I'm just a nurse, right? And they're stuck like in this mindset of, I'm just a nurse. I can only help by taking care of patients. But there are so many aspects, you know, to nursing. There's so many ways you can make a difference. And that's one reason I love nursing, because it's just so dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love what you're doing. So you said you're in policy. What does your day look like in policy? Because we don't need a lot of policy nurses. So so tell us what you do.
1: Sure. Um, So my role, actually, so I graduated with my doctorate in 2021. Um, And this is just kind of the power of your network is, I guess, what I would share. I have been working um, still in the quality umbrella and responsible for accreditation for our academic medical center. Um, prior to graduating, another job opportunity opened up where I was encouraged to apply as like for the director of accreditation. And I thought I could do this, but this just isn't, it's not speaking to me. I don't know what it is out there for me. I chose to say, thank you for considering me. I want to focus on finishing school. I finished school months later and still didn't know what was out there for me. But my job in accreditation also had a policy piece to it, kind of like the other duties as a side, where um, while I was taking the position as um, being responsible for accreditation, they said, oh, also, you need to run the policy committee and I was like, I, you know, no, I don't know anything about policies. I'm not. No. And that scares me. And no. <laughs> and so um, my boss at the time just said, like, well, you could do this. Right. Because think about it. You're not being asked to be the expert on every policy. You're being asked to help make sure the content experts understand what they need to do, really are familiar with the due dates, the deadlines, you know, and so she just encouraged me by not making it seem so daunting. And I appreciate her doing that because so many things seem daunting until you learn like just how to attack the problem. So that was all, it was still a lot. Don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. So I did proceed in that role and proceed to take on this other duty as assigned. And our health system had a lot of struggles as it relates to um, being compliant with policy, understanding where they are. We had a manual process and just, it it just kind of wasn't organized, but I did the best that I could to organize it and bring on. um, So our structures that we have system policies, then because we're a health system, each entity may have policies and we were a growing system. So some entities have policies from before they were a part of the system. We were on different EMRs, you name it. We had so much variation and it started to cause some issues, a lot of issues in terms of um, staff being able to understand what was required and where can I go get the information that I need. And so fast forward, I've graduated and now um, we are working just feverishly trying to address the issues that have come up in our organization as it relates to policy. And like I mentioned, so much disparity across um, organizations. We don't have an automated way, but we did have a task force. Our leadership and organization had enough in them to say, we have to figure out how to address this. And um, as a growth opportunity, um, kind of my boss's boss before he left said, I really want you to lead this committee I really want you to lead the leadership group, and I see this as a growth opportunity for you. So I've been doing that, and just out of nowhere, it seemed to kind of fall into place where they said, we need software. And I said, okay, that's great, but we need FTEs to run software. And they said, okay, that's fine. Work on the job descriptions. And so I was just working with a group on job descriptions, still thinking, like, maybe in my current role, they could somehow report to me or have a dotted line because I was looking to use my skills from my doctorate. And out of nowhere, we were just in a planning meeting and my boss's boss happened to get on a call and said, this isn't going to work without a director, you know, and why don't you, while you're writing that budget, why don't you write in your salary? And why don't we go down the line of creating a position of director for you? And I just thought like, well, boy. That must be the voice of the Lord talking because this was not in my plan. And so um, it just kind of happened like that where, like I said, you're working towards something. People see your diligence. They see how you work. And I turned out an opportunity not knowing what was coming next. I just felt like I'm going to do something. And so this came about. So it's now been one year I've had the opportunity to create positions um, to get um, a multi-million dollar budget approved for software for FTEs for a program and to become sort of an entrepreneur in my organization. And so day-to-day, my responsibilities, um, look, we've implemented this software, but now we do have the responsibility of trying to manage not only policies and procedures, but really get total document management. And so I mentioned that I was responsible for accreditation, my the team that I hired up is fortunate. They all have that similar skill set of knowledge about regulatory things or your Joint Commission, your DMV. We share that skill set, so we do spend a lot of time during the day on consultation with departments um, or with leaders across our system, um, trying to make sure they we look at what they have written to make sure it follows our organization's process, and also um, just giving them feedback. We spend a lot of time setting up the infrastructure. So looking at our data, now we understand um, we're at the ground level of saying these are metrics and this is like our policy model and how are we managing whether we're moving forward or not. So it's really exciting. Um, Most of the time we're in consultation. A lot of times we're just trying to help the organization live up to its values And then getting to work on some things that are innovative with the vendor as we talk about like benchmarking and what does organizational policy look like nationally. So um, that's kind of my day-to-day in essence.
2: That is amazing. They gave you a blank check. They helped you build out a team, a software. So you are like the the person in charge who's really kind of leading, leading this effort for the organization, which is amazing, especially since you wasn't expecting it and you didn't like cultivate this for yourself. It kind of just fell in your lap. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to us about, so I'm also in a doctorate program looking at quality improvement, uh, and risk management. Talk mm-hmm. to us about how all those, to me, in my mind, all of those really fit together. When you talk about well, risk management, quality improvement, policies, and then on top of that, which kind of differentiates me is I look at how people, you know, how workers being stressed and burnt out, you know, they, they add to your risk, right? And they definitely decrease your quality. So talk to us about that that trifactor of, Quality risk management and policy?
1: Sure. So, I think um, what I can talk a little bit about is like the overarching kind of quality umbrella where many would say that's where your policies, your accreditation, your risk management, your quality improvement, um, and many groups could consider other things kind of falling under that umbrella. And so, the way that we're structured um, in my organization is we have a quality institute and risk management is a function. Quality is a function. There's data analytics um, and then accreditation. And then policy is the most recent kind of function or in infection prevention and control. Um, so just in terms of risk management, policy, quality, I, I would say a lot of what we're hoping to do is kind of merge those things together because they do go hand in hand. So I will say that much of, like I mentioned at our organization, we were experiencing some challenges and trying to make sure people really understood like what do I follow? And so we, in my department, we see policy as kind of like the cornerstone in many other places. They're going to see it as a cornerstone of what you do, your kind of foundational documents. But before you can create a policy, you've had to do some work, like whether it's researching the best evidence or the regulation or whatever the standard is going to be to say, okay, this is the regulation. This is um, how we can do this here, right? Because even if you look at an accreditation organization, they won't tell you exactly what to do. They just may say, you need to have a policy around false prevention, but they're not going to tell you if that's for pediatrics, for adults, they're going to say, address it for the population. So you go down a path and say, I'm going to create this policy around false prevention, but I'm going to look to the evidence to see what, you know, what is out there. What what are the best practices that will keep a patient safe? And you kind of create your policy around the best practices and what you have available to you and your organization to um, make that happen. And then you probably want to write in a piece that, Helps you manage that risk of falls. So, if someone is to fall in your organization, what do you do? Do you do a post-fall huddle? Do you write? Um, do you create an incident report or whatever you might call it in your organization? And that's where the risk piece kind of comes in. It is now. Now we have a we have a process. We have it written down in policy. We've tried to communicate this out, um, and now we can capture information if we do have an event such as a fall we can look at that and try to understand, well, if this patient fell, did we adhere to our policy? Did we have all these things in place? And so if um, if so, how do, we, how do we continue to look at our process um, to make sure that maybe this wouldn't happen again? So those are some of the ways that those dots connect is really, um, there's some reason to address something. It's an issue or it's an initiative And you might need to get it written down in the policy world. And then you're monitoring risks through whatever reporting mechanism. And sometimes um, I'll hear people say, "If I don't know that this is necessarily true, but sometimes with risk events, they may look at it as like a one-time thing. Okay, this is one event that happened. But then if you're seeing multiple events or a trend, you see risks, but maybe there's a quality improvement initiative that might need to be either developed out of this um, so you can kind of work throughout your system to address issues. So that's just, um, that's just a way that they're all connected, but so many additional things as it relates to that.
2: No, that's amazing. Thank you for that, uh, that summary, putting it all together for us. Have you developed or seen any policies related to wellness or the well-being of healthcare professionals? What's going on in that realm?
1: That's a really good question. So the answer is yes. Um, and yes, and I guess. so one policy that I'll one way that I would say you might see organizations develop policies as it relates to wellness, maybe through your HR policies or your human resources policies. Oftentimes that's where you're going to see policies about your breaks um, or about your pay time off or, um, any of the other benefits that you may receive that could be in your HR department. And so I remember a one time, this was a long time ago when it comes to the concept of breaks, especially, I don't know if this 10, 15 years ago, there was a lot of work around shift work, sleep disorder. And some of what we saw getting written into our policy is that you're allowed to sleep on your lunch break. um, particularly the ICUs were really strong about this years ago. Um, And they probably did years ago, got the best opportunity to get a one hour break. Uh, But if you think about that concept of going to sleep at work or being able to sleep at work, um, that's something that typically you're like, terminated for, you know, like if you sleep on the job, you could be terminated. But again, when you're looking at evidence and they're saying shift work sleep disorders causes all types of issues, um, especially for, you know, you're working night shift or flipping back and forth like nurses do, how is that helping you with your blood glucose control, your blood pressure? So I thought that was one of the policies that in my um, career time was kind of revolutionary in that, They're looking at shift work sleep disorder and saying, hey, the evidence is showing that having an uninterrupted break or being allowed to go to sleep, as long as you have the proper coverage for your break, is actually more beneficial. That's where some of those policies around wellness come in at. Um, My and was the one that's kind of at the forefront of my mind and the forefront of healthcare is around workplace violence prevention, which doesn't feel like wellness at all, right? (laughs) It doesn't in the context, but because I got to work on our organization's workplace violence prevention policy, one of the things that we learned through just having quality improvement committees around workplace violence was that staff would be reluctant to um, report incidents of workplace violence or to go to like the emergency department, because if they got put off of work for an incident of violence they will have to use their paid time off and that felt like a punishment to them. So one of the things that we had to write in our policy was an allowance for what we call incident pay. So what that does is allow someone to continue to get follow-up that they may need and not feel like, and the organization would pay them or they would pay incident, they would get paid incident pay so that then you don't have to use your PTO. Um, And then a lot of things that we wrote in that policy were really to be of support to um, staff. So being able to work um, just to be supported through a process where you may be needing to be off or you may need to make a report with um, the authorities and how the hospital can support you through that. Those are some of the ways that I see wellness starting to be addressed in policy policy. Um, so many more examples, but I think of those two things primarily like in that human resources space and then also with some of the things that are happening around um workplace violence prevention.
2: Yeah, that's good because I mean workplace violence is on the rise in healthcare. And um, if you're seeing that in the research or through surveys, that people are not reporting it because they have to use their time, that's amazing. Um, I want to ask you one question before we start talking about what you're doing outside of work, because you are a leader uh, outside of work and you just got appointed. So I want you to talk about that. Um, how can nurses? Well, two questions. One, why should nurses be involved in policy in their institution? And if they have their own business, because a lot of nurses, right, who are entrepreneurs, just, you know, policy compliant, um, and how can they get involved? Like, like, why is it important and how? what's their first step they could take to actually get involved in policy?
1: Really good questions. Um, nurses need to be involved because nurses are, they're the primary group of healthcare providers just nationally, but also in your organization. Nurses are going to make up the largest part of the workforce. They're going to be at almost every single touch point. So nurses have a unique perspective, probably the most valid perspective in terms of what is happening, how something should be done, how something cannot be done. And so nurses' voices need to be at the table because I think they have the most balanced perspective. How can a nurse get involved? Um, There are probably many ways. I would just say um, one way that we've tried to make it easy for anyone to be involved or including a nurse is we try to put out information often and then allow people, give different access points. So we just have an email address to say, hey, if you have a question, contact us. Or we put our names out there. And our oftentimes what we do or what we see is nurses will say, I just read this policy. It doesn't really align with what we're able to do, or we don't have that capability, or this isn't what the manufacturer's instructions for you state, or this policy is causing us a problem. A way to get involved is just to raise your hand. Like, if you read a policy, just raise your hand or go to, whether it's to your manager, or if you have a policy department, just say, hey, I have a question about this or I'd like to be involved in a revision of this or, hey, there's new evidence out there that suggests we should be doing something a different way. Um, Just making a direct contact with either the owner of a policy or if you have a policy team, like in our institution, we take those questions right away and work to connect nurses with the right um, content experts or even get feedback as to what we know. But any issue that you might see, just trying to figure out who you can contact. I think in healthcare and an organization is probably easier because typically you're going to have a manager that can help escalate if you don't know who. Um, But for example, many organizations may have policy software that tells you right away, this is the owner of the policy. That's a quick way to say, oh, Wendy, you own the workplace violence policy. Hey, we're not going to report this because you're going to take away my PTO or whatever. Those are ways that we see nurses getting involved. It's just kind of raising their hand to say, this doesn't work or Hey, really nice job. Or I want to be included. Just kind of raising your hand to volunteer, I think goes a long way in your organization um, to try to get involved in policy.
2: No, thank you for that. And tell us what you're doing outside of work. Sure. I think I'm, Continuing on my um,
1: policy and regulation journey, I've been involved in a number of groups in the community, but most recently I'm proud that I was elected um, as a board of, to the American Nurses Association board of directors as a director at large. So right now I'm in orientation um, and then January 1st, I begin my term, um, my two year term of service. With the American Nurses Association. And so uh, many of the issues that are of importance to nurses that impact their well-being, such as working under staff, workplace violence, and the prevention thereof, many of those things are at the top of mind of nurses and are at the top of mind for the American Nurses Association. So I'm excited to be able to learn more and to be able to carry out um, advocacy on a national level for all nurses.
2: That is amazing, and thank you for your service. And I think everyone—not everyone—I don't want them to bombard you—but should be reaching out to you as a representative. Like, what are the issues, you know? And how can you become part of the solution? So, I think that is amazing. You're going to be such an asset, uh, you know, to that group, that leadership team. So, that is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we get out of here, um, any last words for our audience before we go into our rapid fire? Um.
1: I'm excited for the rapid fire. I would just say um, for the audience, I think if your focus is on, if you're interested in learning how to um, become a leader, there are many people around you that can share their leadership journey, um, or you can look to the many tools around you on social media. Uh, But I think making sure that You do take time for your own well-being, even in leadership or in nursing in general, is very important. So just figuring out different ways to manage your wellness and well-being is so important, especially now where everything's texting or so it seems.
2: Yes. Well, thank you so much. And if you want to get in contact with Dr. Fisher-Grace, her information will be... Um, in the show notes. All right. Well, let's get started on the rapid fire. Let okay. me know the first thing that comes to your mind to answer the question or finish the statement. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. Wellness means? Self-care. I know I'm stressed One, when... I'm overthinking. My go-to stress management solution is? Walking. One thing I learned about myself during the pandemic is? And my voice is powerful. Mm, that's a good one. That's a good one. What is something people get wrong about you?
1: That I'm an extrovert.
2: Ah. <laughs> I like that. And what is one word to describe you? Influential. Mm, I like that. I like that. And if you can make one shift In nursing, what would it be and why?
1: I think the shift that I would make um, would be to take the muzzle off of nurses. Mm. What I mean by that is, um, or why I say that is because I think nurses have so much that they can offer or share with the world, their community, families. But I think oftentimes, nurses are not permitted to share much through so many rules and regulations. So I would say just taking the muzzle off and letting nurses kind of be at liberty to share more, I think it would benefit communities,
2: our health system in general. Wow. I love that. I love that. Yes. Your voice, your voice is powerful. And my last question is, what would you say to your younger self or a young um, student nurse who's coming up in in the profession?
1: Embrace every opportunity. Um, You're in the right space just by being in school, but take advantage of every opportunity. Meet all the people that you can, learn all that you can learn, engage in all that you can engage in, and Um, I think you'd be surprised at how far you can go.
2: Yes. Amazing. I love that. Well, Dr. Fisher-Grace, thank you so much for being here. We will definitely have to have you back.
1: Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. Before you go, I would love to share a free stress management resource with you go to stressblueprint.com and download your free copy of the 3 questions to ask when you are stressed. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best and give your best.
0: If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.